It's one of the longest and most significant things ever written by the man who was formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish rabbi belonging to a group known as the Pharisees, and he was passionate and devout to the Torah of Moses and the traditions of Israel. And he saw Jesus and his followers as a threat. But then he had a radical encounter with the risen Jesus, who commissioned him as an apostle, like an official representative, to the world of non-Jewish people called Gentiles in the Bible. And so he started going by his Roman name, Paul, and he traveled all around the ancient Roman Empire, telling people about the risen King Jesus, and forming his followers then into these new communities called churches. And Paul would occasionally write letters to these new Jesus communities to help them foster their faith or answer questions, and the book of Romans is one of these. It was actually written quite late in his career. Now, we know from the book of Acts that the church in Rome had existed for some time, that it was made up of Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus. But at one point, the Roman emperor Claudius had expelled all of the Jewish people from Rome. And then about five years later, all of those Jews, including Jesus-following Jews, were allowed to return. And when they did, they found a church that had become very non-Jewish in custom and practice. And so this created lots of tension. So that by Paul's day, the Roman church was divided. People disagreed about how to follow Jesus. They were debating about whether non-Jewish Christians should celebrate the Sabbath or eat kosher or be circumcised. And so Paul wrote this letter to accomplish a few things. He wanted this divided church to become unified and for a practical purpose. He was hoping that the Roman church could become a staging ground for his mission to go even further west all the way to Spain. And so these circumstances are what motivated Paul to write out his fullest explanation of the gospel, the good news that he was announcing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Hmm. That's an excellent introductory video to our new series this morning in the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them up to Romans chapter 1. And by the way, that video is from thebibleproject.com. If you've never visited that website, if you never looked into it, that is an excellent, excellent resource. You should even write it down. It is super helpful. They have book overviews on every single book of the Bible. So you read Old Testament books, you don't know what's going on, you can watch a little video that kind of gives you the gist, gives you the background, tells you a little bit about the author. Super, super helpful. Other great resources on there as well. So if you really want to go deep in, in Bible study, thebibleproject.com is a great resource for you to use. Uh, Romans, uh, as we introduce this new series, by many scholars and theologians and pastors, it has been called the greatest letter ever written. Some would say it's the greatest piece of literature in human existence. Uh, it is a full theme of the gospel. Our last series that we did a couple weeks ago that we ended called The Gospel That Changes the World, we focused a lot about our mission for the gospel or the fruit of the gospel, but the book of Romans is really all about the message of the gospel. It is an extensive uh, account of the message of the gospel. And as the video said, Paul is writing to Jewish and Gentile Christians who were divided strongly, and it was not a pleasant division. Uh, it's a very relevant book to our age because our culture is very divided, and the American church is very divided between race and ethnicity and the like and denominations. And so this gospel was written to a church like that. And Paul, instead of talking about their differences, goes to the depths of the gospel and says, church, if you would just understand the gospel and dive deeply into that, it would change you and it would change your relationships with one another. 
and the same can be true of us. Now, Romans is a big book. There's 16 chapters in it. We're not going to cover it all at once. Have no fear. We're going to cover it kind of in five different parts or episodes a la Star Wars. Any Star Wars fans out there? Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is episode one or part one of Romans. We're going to cover the first five chapters over the le- next nine weeks. And the theme you can see on your bulletin and on the, the screen is the theme of part one is our problem and God's solution. And just to warn you, these first few chapters of Romans are not fun to read because they talk a lot about our problem. And so the beginning of this book is about why we need a Savior, which means we're in trouble, and then why what God has done to save us through Jesus Christ. So that's the theme of the book that we're going to look at, and really the first five chapters. But today, we're going to look at Paul's introduction and his letter, and man, is it chocked full of really, really good stuff. So let's read it together. We're going to see why Paul wrote, and then we're going to also see why he wants to see the Romans, and then lastly, what he's so eager to tell them. So first, let's look at why Paul wrote, starting in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. That word gospel will be used a lot. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a typical Greco-Roman introduction. When we write letters in English, we write to somebody, and then at the very end of the letter, we write from. But in Greco-Roman cultures, they wrote from first. And then they wrote who it was to. But Paul not only does that, but he writes a big middle section there. What's that all about? Well, remember, the video talked to us about how Paul was a Pharisee who hated Jesus and was killing Christians, and yet Jesus radically transformed him to now Paul is saying that I am an apostle and a slave, which is what the word servant literally means. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, and I am set apart to preach this gospel. And Paul's writing to the saints in Rome, Jews and Gentiles. And if you've been with us for a while, perhaps a couple weeks ago, you remember in our last sermon in Acts that we talked about Paul being in Rome. And you might be thinking, wait a second, I thought Paul had already been to Rome. How is he writing to people he's never met? Well, that's because the end of the book of Acts is later than this book. The book of Romans was likely written around 57-ish AD while Paul was in the city of Ephesus. And if you remember from the book of Acts, Ephesus was the place where everybody was giving up their witchcraft books and coming to know Jesus, and a huge revival was happening into the city, and then a big riot. And while Paul is there, he hears about the church of Rome, and he writes them a letter saying, I want to see what's happening here happen in your city. So that's why he writes this book and why he writes it to those people. But all Paul can talk about throughout his introduction, he introduces himself, but he moves very quickly to something else, the gospel. He said he's set apart for the gospel. What is that? That will be a recurring theme throughout this book. 
Now, you've probably, if you've been to church for a while, you've probably heard the word gospel before. Uh, you probably don't know the Greek word for it, but it's the Greek word euangelion. I'm not asking you to pronounce that. Euangelion, and it's where we get our English word evangelism from. And the word gospel means good news or glad tidings. So think about like the six o'clock breaking news story. That's what a gospel is. It's breaking news. It's good news for the world. It's good tidings. What is this news? Well, we see in Paul's introduction, if you have your bullets and you can write some of these down, kind of it's not this, but this. It's not new news, but it's old news. The gospel is not a new story, it's an old story. Paul says it's been talked about and prophesied and promised from all the prophets and the scriptures of the Old Testament. This has been a long time coming. One writer said that the gospel of the New Testament is the flower and the Old Testament is the seed where, the, where it was planted. So the Old Testament pointed ahead to Jesus coming and producing this gospel. It is a millennia old story, it's not some man-made idea. It's also not a what, but a who. The gospel is not a what, a concept, as much as it is a person. Paul says it's concerning his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Christianity. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is Christianity. Now, this is different from other religions around the world. So, if you think of Buddhism or Confucianism or Hinduism or even Islam, in Buddhism and Confucianism, you, you follow the teachings of Buddha or you follow the teaching of Confucius. Or even in Islam, you follow kind of the revelation that Muhammad received from Allah and he kind of wrote dictates for the people on how they should live. But Christianity is unique because Christianity is Jesus Christ. It is him. It is about what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. It is about a person, and guess what? The church people become little Christs, which is what the word Christian means. It means little Jesus, right? That we are formed into his image to look like him. It's not about us. It's not about what we look like. It's about us looking like him. Christianity is about a person, not a concept. And this Jesus was not just a man, but God. He says concerning his flesh, he was the son of David. He was the messianic line. He lived a fully human life, and that was important because he paid a fully human price on the cross because he was human. But he was also fully divine, proved that by the Spirit, Holy Spirit at his resurrection. So not only did he pay a fully human price, but he paid a fully infinite price because he was God. He was God and man in one this is Jesus, the risen king. And he's not just a good teacher. Paul gives a little statement there at the end where he says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus was not just a good teacher, but Lord. Now, you're not from first century Rome, so I imagine that that statement was not offensive to you. But if you lived in Rome and you heard the phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, and you said it out loud, you could be killed. Because in Rome, there was only one Lord, and it was Caesar. And in fact, you had to decree that. Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, and people would ask you. In fact, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the first two or three centuries died because they said Jesus is Lord. And so when Paul says Jesus is Lord, that is a huge statement to the Roman church. Caesar is not Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. He is the master. He is the commander. We are his servants. The gospel is the announcement of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over all things, and it's an invitation to come underneath his lordship in his kingdom. So this summer, we're going to do a series on this kingdom and what it means. And you just need to know, Americans, that you and I don't like kings. Our nation was founded in rejection or rebellion against a king. That's our very DNA. So we vote for our own leaders. We pick our own politicians. But the gospel says Jesus is king whether you like it or not. And will you submit to and trust in his rule and reign? And this rule is not just for Jews, but it's for Gentiles. Paul says that this is not just a Jewish gospel, this is a Gentile thing for all nations. Certainly God's gospel was for the Jews, they were his people, but God commissioned Paul to preach the gospel to all nations, to the Gentiles, so that the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15, where he says, Abraham, through your offspring, I'm going to bless all the nations. Jesus fulfilled that in himself, so that now we as Gentiles can sit here maybe you're Jewish here, that's awesome, praise Jesus if you are, but we as Gentiles can worship Jesus and be a part of his kingdom. And that gospel is by, not by works, but by faith. He says, the obedience that comes from faith, it's by faith that we are saved, not by anything we've done or earned or being a part of the right ethnicity or the right people, it's by faith. That's just his introduction people. Like literally, this is dear so-and-so from so-and-so. That's all he's said so far, and he's said a lot. And he spends the rest of this book unpacking that. This is why he's writing, because he wants them to know this gospel message and to be rooted in it. Now he moves on to say why I want to see you. In verse 8, he says this, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. Remember, he's in Ephesus at this time. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Why? I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. You remember, he was shipwrecked and bitten by a snake and all these other things. He had some problems, right? In order that I might have the same harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles, like Ephesus and other places. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. So Paul is beginning this to share his heart of why I want to be with you. Why do I want to see you? And the Roman church is near and dear to him. He spent time praying for them on a daily basis. And did you know that when you pray for people, you actually begin to love them more? When you actually pray for people, and some of you have experienced this, when you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you actually develop a love and a more deep connection with them. Paul has been praying for them daily and longing to see them. Why does he want to see them? Because he wants them to experience gospel community. He wants them to experience that. Go and throw that up there, Mitch. He wants them to experience gospel community. 
a community centered on the gospel. Paul says in verse 11 that I want to impart a spiritual gift to you, but let's be clear, Paul says, that I don't expect to just be on the giving end. I expect to be mutually encouraged by you as well, that when we get together, when I see you face to face, I'm going to bless you and you're going to bless me. This is how it works. It's reciprocal. This is what gospel community looks like. Now, keep in mind that these believers in Rome were likely very new in their faith, probably didn't know much. Many of them were Gentiles, didn't really know the Scriptures. Why is that important? Because Paul is saying it doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. If you believe in Jesus and His Spirit is in you, you have something to give to others. And so you can bless others. And I've seen this so true in my life. Uh, in, uh, a few of our students are here. I think I've said this to you, Isaac, actually, on a few different occasions. When I've been in Bible studies with students and teenagers, that I learn from them just as much as they teach and I teach them that we learn mutually from each other. I've been in Bible studies with children where they see things in the Bible. I'm walking through the Bible with my kids, and sometimes they'll point out things and be like, huh, I never thought about that, because kids can teach us about Jesus. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter how much you know because the Spirit of God can teach through you no matter who you are. And so Paul is like, I don't care if I'm the expert planted in multiple churches. When I come to Rome, I expect you to bless me. That's the value of gospel community. And let me ask you this. Are you in a gospel community like this? And I'm not asking you if you attend a church. You're obviously here or you're online which we want to see you someday. I'm not asking you if you listen to sermons or you come to service. What I'm asking you is, do people really see you? Do people really see you and know you? You know, Paul could have wrote this letter to Rome and never seen him face to face. He could have just talked about him from afar and given him great advice, but he wants to see them. He wants to look them in the eyes and be with them. Why? Because he knows that real life change happens when believers look at each other, when they talk, when they are dwelling with one another around the word of God. This is the value of that. You know, a few of my small group people are here. Wow, it is really good to see you guys today, McCarleys. Oh, a few of my small group uh, have had some some at-risk family members, and so they haven't really been to church in a long time. In fact, it's good to see you guys. It's your first week back. I'm just excited. I cannot tell you. You have no idea how I'm excited about that. Uh, But my small group has not been able to come for the last year, and it was so cool. We were talking the other day about this and and how even though they hadn't been able to be here in person, we kept meeting as a small group. We met outside. We met on Zoom, which was not fun because I don't like Zoom, but it was better than nothing, and it was so cool that they were sharing the other day just like, you know, we've been able to stay connected to the sermons, but I don't know what we would have done without this group. Because this small group has been the place for us to stay connected to one another, even when we've been separated, even when we've been isolated. It was just an amazing picture of the value of seeing each other, being with each other. And that's been more difficult in our day and age because of uh, all of this, uh, the people being divided or even people being forced to be isolated. But even in the midst of that, what a value it is to see each other face to face. And so I ask you, are you in a place like that? Are you living face to face with other believers in Christ? And if not, we have a website, crosswordswasion.org, we'll do a little marketing here. Uh, Go to our adult section and you can literally today fill out a form that says find a small group. You can fill it out on there. 
Uh, it'll come to my in inbox, so you'll probably get a chat from me. Or you can get involved in a men's group or women's group. You can get into gospel community if you want to. And I'd ask you to think about that. Because Paul valued it enough that he was willing to sail across a few seas just to see these people because he knew how important it is. And that's not the only thing he wanted to see there. Because when gospel community happens, then there begins to be a gospel harvest Paul wants a gospel harvest among the Gentiles, just like he's seeing happening in Ephesus when he's writing this. Uh, he, he says, I want to see this harvest among you like I've seen among the other Gentiles. Because when disciples get together in unity and love Jesus, disciples multiply. This is one of our core values at Crossroads, that multiplication happens. When disciples get together, they don't stay stagnant. They grow. The gospel is meant to spread. People are meant to grow in their faith, and that is meant to be contagious, that it goes out. In theory, if a gospel-believing witness came into a city that didn't know Jesus, that's, that church could transform that city, and it's happened again and again and again and again, and it's still happening today. And you can be a part of that even in our city and through church plants that we see happening all over. But that's what Paul wants. And he says in verse 14, I am obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. You know what that means? It means that everyone is welcome to this gospel. Doesn't matter how, you, how smart you are, doesn't matter what your IQ is, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, because Greeks and non-Greeks, that was like the smart people and the not smart people. At this point in the message, our live stream was interrupted. To fill in the gap, Pastor Matt Strader made the following points. One, the gospel is not an exclusive club, but for all. Two, Paul is obligated to share the gospel because everyone needs the gospel. Three, we may not have Paul's giftings, but we are set apart for the gospel and commissioned by Jesus to make disciples. So, in a way, we too are obligated to share the gospel. Four, Paul concludes his opening remarks with the climax of his introduction. Think of it as the thesis of the entire letter. Romans 1, 16, and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul is therefore eager to preach the gospel to them, and he is not ashamed of it, because the gospel is God's power. We now resume with the podcast. It is the only thing whereby a man can be saved. By everyone, I mean everyone who believes. As Paul would say later, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, what makes this gospel so powerful? Because it reveals something. It reveals something that is a problem and the solution. It reveals God's righteousness. The gospel reveals God's righteousness, and that's bad news and good news. It reveals God's righteousness, and that's bad news first, because when you see God's righteousness, you realize that you are a sinner, that you are deserving of his wrath, that he is holy and pure, and that any sinner that comes into contact with him would be utterly destroyed and dismayed. That is bad news. God's glorious standard of Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, His righteous standard cannot be attained, and that is bad. 
But the good news is God's righteousness is revealed in another, Jesus Christ. This is what Romans 3 says. But now, apart from the law, meaning what you do, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And that's the good news. In other words, the gospel tells you, you're not good enough. And then it tells you, but Jesus is. And he's died for you. And this is why some people are bold and some people are ashamed. This is why some people don't like Christianity. Some people don't like Jesus. You know why? Because if you become a Christian, for you to become a Christian, you actually have to be humiliated. You have to be humiliated. You have to admit, I can't do it. For you to become a Christian, you have to admit, I don't have what it takes. I can't save myself. I can't fix my problems. I don't have it. Now, how offensive is that to our American culture? Because our American culture would say, you are good enough. You have what it takes. Discover the hero within you. The gospel says, that hero ain't in there. That is not a hero. It's the enemy. You need to get rid of yourself and have the hero from above come and live in you and then you can recognize the hero within because it's Jesus. This is the gospel. But to get it, it's offensive. You have to come to the end of yourself. But Paul is like, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. And that leads Paul to the last reason he's eager because he says the gospel is received and lived by faith. This isn't something you earn by being smart. This isn't something you earn by going to church. This isn't something you learn by having the right heritage or the right skin color. It's only by faith in Jesus alone. Now, this is important because some of you might be believing like half of the gospel. There might be some of you in this church right now who only believe like part of it because you believe the part where Jesus has canceled your debt. The gospel's more than that. It's not just that Jesus has canceled your debt and then you gotta start living a good life and earn your righteousness. The gospel is not that that Jesus forgives you and now you gotta figure out how to find this righteousness in and of yourself. The gospel is, this is what Tim Keller says, he says the gospel is that we discover that Jesus has taken us off of death row and he has placed around our necks the Congressional Medal of Honor. And we are honored as a hero for things that we did not do. This is the gospel. Not only are you not in death, but you are given life and righteousness. This is God's righteousness. And this isn't a one-time thing that you receive. This is a daily life. That's why Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the prophet, when he says, the righteous shall live by faith. Before we close, I just want to share a story with you because you might not understand how important verse 17 is in the history of the church. Many of you have probably heard of the man named Martin Luther. Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation. He nailed the 95 theses on the door. But did you know that Martin Luther was a monk who hated God before he read Romans 117? 
In fact, Martin Luther had grown to hate God because he felt like God had required righteousness and yet set us up to fail because we're not good enough. It wasn't until he understood Romans 1.17 that his life changed. And I want to read you this. This is not on your screens, but I just want to read you. This is his testimony of how he became a Christian, and it was from reading that verse. This is what he said. I labored diligently and anxiously as to know how to understand Paul's word. What is this expression, the righteousness of God? I had this mental block, he said. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. He took it all as the bad news. And so although I'm an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner. And therefore I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather I hated him and murmured against him. Then I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us by faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through the open doors into paradise. I broke through. And as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. Isn't that good? In that moment, Martin Luther passed from death to life as he experienced the gospel for the first time, even as a pastor, as a monk. He didn't get it. Some of you might be there. Have you ever had that breakthrough of gospel reality where you, maybe you've been living with this sense, I've been going to church and I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't know that God loves me. I don't really feel like I'm part of this. I don't really get it. And then Jesus just says, I have given you my righteousness. Yes, you're not righteous, but I am. This is the gospel. Have you experienced that? Do you want to? If that's you, this series is for you. This letter is for you. This book of Romans has brought conversion to more people throughout church history than probably any other book of the Bible. And I pray that God brings you salvation through trusting in Jesus alone, and that could happen today. This is Paul's introduction. (laughs) This is just the introduction to this letter to help us understand and grow deeper in the gospel, and I am excited for where God's going to take us. Paul longs to see this gospel be preached and this gospel community be formed where they encourage one another in Christ and that the gospel would bear fruit and a harvest in the world. And he's eager to tell anyone and everyone because the gospel is God's power, and it reveals God's righteousness, and it's the gift of faith. What a glorious story to tell, right? Are you eager, or are you ashamed of the gospel? Which one is more characteristic of your life? May God transform us, church, into saints that love to share his gospel. May he make us a gospel community that encourages one another, that actually sees each other. May he create in us a gospel harvest that the city of Wauseon, Fulton County, our region, our state, where we plant churches, the nation, Africa, India, Dominican, it doesn't matter where, that a gospel movement would spread around the world. This is the gospel that we have an opportunity to know 
and share. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your word. Just this introduction to Romans. I thank you that we believe a message that is not new, it's old. It has been foretold and coming a long time. We believe a message that is Jesus. He is the gospel. He is our life. We believe in the one who was the God-man, fully God, fully man. We believe this message is not just for Jews, but for Gentiles, for the whole world. And that Jesus is not just a good moral teacher, but he's the Lord of our lives. God, there are, there are days where I really believe that. And there are others that I don't, or I don't trust it like I should. Maybe I don't know fully how much you've given me in Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that now as we respond in worship, that you would give us faith. You would give us a faith, because we know this gospel is only by faith. We can't do it. We can't earn it. We just believe and receive. Would you give us faith to trust you? Would you give faith to someone today that maybe has never really believed this gospel? Perhaps they could be born again, just like Martin Luther was. Would you open our eyes? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.